Hi, I'm Lizzie, and you're listening to the Next Stage podcast. I'm here with Ravi Huda and Shai to discuss some of the recent developments in Israel over the past couple days. Honestly, right now it's it's really difficult to even know where to begin to unpack the situation that we're facing in this country right now. Um, there's a lot of elements to it, and um, the Jewish people are definitely feeling a lot of pain. And it's, you know, hard to even formulate the thoughts that are going through our heads right now and uh, put them into something coherent. But we're here and we're going to do our best to do that. So, um, Huda? Israel is at war. Simchat Torah, Shabbat, you know, in the synagogue I was at, and just before Maftir, for listeners who know what that is, somebody came into the Beit Knesset and announced that uh, every reservist in the synagogue should uh, run to go check their phones, report to their uh, Miluim unit, and uh, about a third of the men in the synagogue uh, left. And, uh, you know, within the next uh, short while, we, we discovered what was going on. Incredibly painful, you know, for the people of Israel as a whole. Uh, incredibly traumatic. I think that um, it, I understand how most of our people are looking at the images and the videos circulating on social media and uh, want revenge. They feel hurt and they want to hurt back. And I think for me personally, I, I get that. I, I'm not going to say that I, I see those videos and uh, I don't want to hurt people. But for me, what's most important is to figure out what we really want, like what we want to see happen here, what objectives do we want to achieve? And, you know, for me, what's important is to be a subject and not an object. Not an object that gets hurt and wants to hurt back, but a subject that knows what it wants and tries to use every situation that uh, occurs in order to advance the attainment of what it wants. It's a difference between being a player or a pawn on the chessboard. And uh, for me, what, what's most important, I, I think, if, I mean, we've had the same ridiculous war every couple of years, but now it's intensified uh, to a new level. I, I don't have to tell listeners, I'm sure everybody's seen enough and, and heard enough uh, regarding what's been taking place here. The only way, in my opinion, to put a stop to this is to acknowledge that we were wrong to let the Americans push us out of Gaza in 2005. Uh, we need to return to Gaza, not bomb it from the air, but we need to capture it on the ground. We need to make Gaza part of our country again. It is part of our country. We need to incorporate it into the state of Israel. We need to offer the Palestinians who live there, the majority of Palestinians who live there, a better life together with us. And we need to uh, rebuild Gush Katif, the Jewish communities that were destroyed. A Jewish state, a state of Israel without Gaza is not going to be secure, uh, and nor would that be just. And I think that now is the time for us to have real conversations about a return to Gaza because there's no other way to protect the south of our country. So I think, you know, where what I'm feeling right now is before we, you know, the Jewish people can even get into any real conversation about what we're like, about actually taking back Gaza, which is 100% the right move. I think we have to give a moment to actually air and process the feelings that we're experiencing in this moment so that we can turn that experience into something productive and channel that energy into something that is actually going to bring us good um, and bring us some solace in the future. 
um, you know, what happened on, on Sunday, sorry, on Sunday, on Saturday morning, it shook Amisharal to its core. We are in a place right now where we are reliving some of our worst traumas from the diaspora, whether it be memories of the Holocaust or memories of pogroms in the different various countries that we lived in. This has honestly brought up the worst of our diaspora experience and like brought it to the forefront. And it's arguably even more painful because it happened in our own land where we have a strong army to defend us. You think that makes it more painful? I mean, that's the big difference for me. Like as much as people like to compare this to situations of helplessness in the diaspora, um, I think the big difference is we called up 300,000 army reservists and fighter pilots and we are responding within days. Like we didn't have the ability to respond to the Nazis or to any of our other persecutors in the diaspora the way we are responding now. I mean, it's a different reality. It's a different situation. Yes, yeah, somebody hurt us and, and it was traumatic and it was painful and it was shocking because we, we fell into this illusion that we, Israel, could be a normal country, quote-unquote normal country. We've been told by certain political figures and certain forces uh, in society and the media that the goal is for Israel to be a normal country. I think that's what a lot of this fight has been about uh, over judicial reform. I think there's been a fight raging in Israeli society for the better part of a year over what this country is going to be, over what the identity of this country should be. And now we've gone to war and and it's clear, I think one thing that's very clear is that we cannot be a normal country. We cannot be like, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago I saw on Instagram, the Yeshatib party posted this thing. Do we want to be Sweden or Lebanon? Uh, I don't know what it means to be Lebanon. Yeshatib clearly feels that they're dragging us in the direction of Sweden. They want Israel to be Sweden. Um, we're not going to be Sweden. Like we're just not Sweden. Like that's not what Israel is. And, and I think we know that now. But let me just interrupt you for a second here, because I think that, you know, obviously there is some real comfort in the fact that we do have this strong army to like call up and respond to all of these things that happen to us. But I actually think that the fact that this happened to us in our own land, when we already had that strong army, when that's already there, makes this experience all the more painful because especially for people who tend to be in the more like in a certain Zionist camp in a certain Zionist headspace, the whole idea or the entire premise of like what the Zionist project was, was, you know, we got to be safe in our land. We, we, we want freedom from oppression. We want to not like be the victims of pogroms anymore. And the fact that, you know, 75 years after the establishment of the state of Israel, we're in a situation where not only did violence against us happen, but it happened under the watch of like our own people in, in our land is extra painful because this shouldn't be able to happen to us mm -hmm. here. And so to acknowledge that that really, those are the emotions that are underlying the situation right now of like how on earth could this happen to an Israel that is supposed to be strong, that is supposed to be powerful, that is supposed to be in charge of its own future. You know, how did we get here? I, I think we took our own strength for granted and we began to become arrogant. I mean, we got soft. With confidence in our own strength comes a certain level of um, inner weakness. And it happened to us also with the Yom Kippur War, meaning we were overconfident in the wake of the Six Day War, we were overconfident in our military power, and we got caught off guard. Same thing here. Like we were overconfident about our military power. We saw Hamas as a manageable nuisance, um, not as like a like a real threat 
and we in certain certain sectors of Israeli society. I think the same sectors of I think the same sectors of Israeli society that um, want to be like Sweden and not Lebanon, whatever all that means, um, also have this like arrogant overconfidence in our military potential, not realizing that Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran have something that the, at least those sectors of Israeli society are lacking, and that's ideological power. And I think that our military power is really only as, as strong and as formidable as our ideological power. And that is something that uh, the sector of Israeli society that um, has been kind of like vilified and demonized by the press in the last year, that's something that this sector has, but we need to really develop that more. Uh, and I think that, I, I think one thing that, that I'm hoping Israeli society has learned from all this is that we, the people of Israel, not the army, not the intelligence uh, networks, not the you know security forces, you know more broadly, but the people of Israel, the average person, needs to stay hard, needs to stay lean, needs to stay fierce. There shouldn't have been a situation where we spread our army thin and uh, and, and Hamas is able to take over entire towns. I mean, we should have had armed civilian militias in those border towns. Um, that are able to like handle business without the army like that's that's what we need to be we are at war we are not a normal nation we're not in a normal situation we can't just live normal like western lives going to work picking up our kids from school shopping watching netflix while like we just outsource our security to the army like we need to be aware that we're living in a war that it's been a completely abnormal situation that we've been living in a war. We've been living in an ethnic conflict. Yeah, we got the upper hand. Yeah, we control them. But every now and then that control slips. And uh, if we're not going to find a long-term solution other than maintaining control over the Palestinian population, we better be prepared to deal with what happens in moments when we might temporarily lose control. I think we need to actually take a moment to like reassess where Israel's strength really comes from. And I think you just, you said something very, you know, true that militarily we're strong, but ideologically we have been weak for quite some time now. It's not- this Some is not of us, a, not, not me. <laughs> I mean, not know, where I live, not, not the, Jews in the West Bank. But the people in charge of, mm. you know, the decisions that are made in this country and how we're gonna go about, you know, handling situations for a while at this point, we have we have been ideologically deficient. We have not actually been like exhibiting the level of strength that is necessary for a people that has returned back to their land after thousands and thousands of years and wants to stay here. We've been playing it very safe. We've been trying to appease everybody else around us and overly concerned with public opinion on how this is gonna play on the global stage and what are our allies gonna say and how our people are gonna perceive us as Middle Eastern or the barbarians or whatever it is if we actually respond in the way that we feel is the right way to respond. And I think at this moment in time, it really is time for the nation to grapple with the consequences of what it means to be ideologically weak, of what it means to be in Israel that is like a shell of itself, where we are trying so hard to be accepted into this community or like congregation of Western countries when we aren't a Western people. We don't exist in the West. You, this, this, if this war showed us anything, and, and I think you see this amongst almost all the Israelis, doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum they're on at this point, um, and even amongst a lot of diaspora Jews that, you know, after this type of attack, like it's kind of hard to like pretend like we can go back to acting like a Western country after this. I think it's very raw for me, but I very much agree. But I really, I shudder to think of 
the missed opportunity here and the attempt to go to a status quo that was we, we cannot go back it's very very clear we cannot go back um, i don't think israeli society will accept that um, but most importantly i keep thinking about the sixth day war actually um, and i keep thinking about living in history and you know living on day one of the sixth day war day, live day two of the sixth day war um, and and thinking about the role that we're playing right now um, and it, I, it brings me to think about um, war in in the Jewish in Jewish philosophy, let's say, um, and how we approach war. And, and the truth is, we look at war as something that um, can bring gula, it can bring liberation. And I'm I think we need to fight that battle on an ideological front as well. I think if not to grow from this and not to advance our narrative, our history, and our um, thought process will it would be like a, a shame to the martyrs uh, yeah i i completely agree i think that you know at this point in time for me at least the way i've been experiencing this entire thing is that it, there's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that this is a part of the gula process and that this war you know is actually indicative of much bigger changes that are happening in amistral and you know before this war there was all this political turmoil and all this these things that were kind of threatening to tear Jewish society apart and you know Hashem is wise, Hashem is great and unfortunately nothing brings Am Yisrael together more than a war does but it actually feels like you know for the minute since all of this started happening Am Yisrael has been acting like one body, one soul. We have really fell into this lockstep of like we are one. All of the other little problems, disagreements that we had before seem very 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 small and hardly on anyone's minds at this point because at the end of the day, this was an affront to our nation as a whole, and every single one of us feels that. And to, like, I guess we have to, like, really be in a headspace where we can see this energy that Am Yisrael is in and take this forward and let this imbue whatever path we are going to take. No one really knows how this war is going to turn out. No one really knows what the specifics are going to be. But what we do know is that we're not going back to how it was before. And so how can we actually sanctify this horrible situation and make it a part of our Geula process. Um, we each individually have to ask ourselves that. I know personally, I've been getting a lot of comfort, a lot of Nechama um, watching our soldiers, like many of them tap into that energy and like really feel like we are you know, Hashem's people, we are fighting Hashem's wars. And that is like the number one thing that's on their mind. And they're taking strength and comfort in our tefillot and our mitzvot. It's very beautiful. It really feels like we're at least for this moment, we're in a place where we want to be who we actually are. We want to be Jewish. We want to be Hashem's people. And everyone seems to be on that page and they're doing it in their own capacity to do it. Um, but I think if we're going to make this feeling last and this is not going to be something that dissipates and then, you know, we end up back in a situation that we were before, we have to really be intentional about trying to unpack how we got here and where we're going to go in the future, where we want to go in the future. We need to make that decision now because the Middle East has changed irrevocably at this point, even though we don't know exactly the details or the scope of that change, we know it's changed. And so we actually have the chance to, like Yehuda said earlier, be a subject, not an object, and make our own decisions and chart our own course for the future. And we need to seize this moment. Look, in times of war, the national soul rises to the surface at least in the beginning. I think something that's very important is for us to try to take that with us beyond the first, second, third week of this. I, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know how protracted this conflict is going to be. 
but clearly we don't want to just go back to a situation where we're fighting each other over judicial reform or over the identity of what this country is going to be. Um, I think now that we've kind of reunified in the face of the traumatic events of, uh, of Simchat Torah, we need to try to take that unity with us back into the, everyday life. Yeah, back into the like political reality that we find ourselves in. I'm concerned that certain politicians and certain sectors of society are going to try to use this to like hurt each other and to try and delegitimize each other. I see some of that already on social media with certain people trying to like blame this on this entire group or that entire group within Israeli society. I think there's definitely going to be some kind of commission of inquiry. There's going to be some kind of investigation into who dropped the ball and, and why this was able to happen. But the unity that the majority of the nation is feeling right now needs to be something we bring back into our uh, social life, our political life, just like civil society after this, and address the differences, meaning like nothing's been resolved. Like all the things we we're fighting over didn't go away. There's still issues and there's still issues we need to deal with. And yeah, Israelis are great at pushing off big issues because of short-term crises. Like, we need to come back to this, but we need to come back to this from the perspective of brotherhood. We need to come back to this from the perspective of being one people with a common destiny. It's got to figure out a way to make this state work as an expression of what we want and what they want. You know, you said something really important when you and I were speaking yesterday that, um we didn't elect this government. The Israelis didn't elect the government that we currently have right now because they're racist and they hate Arabs. They elected it because they are fed up with us being in a situation where we are acting weaker than we actually are, where we are allowing ourselves to make decisions that are not in our best interest, that are not reflective of who we truly, truly are. And we're sick of pretending to be a nation that's not the nation of Israel. We want to be ourselves at this point. And that's why this government ended up there. And I think for a lot of parts of the country, I know I've been feeling this vibe in Jerusalem, and I'm sure you have been feeling this in your communities too, um, and you mentioned this yesterday, that people in certain aspects of this, in certain parts of this country, have never perceived themselves as not being at war. Specifically here in Jerusalem, specifically out in the West Bank, like, it's a perpetual war. It's just a question of like how high or low the volume is on that war. And so this, this war that's like now upon us it's very shocking to so many like populations in, in Israel, but it's also not shocking to, to a lot of other populations. They've been expecting something like, you know, to happen, not necessarily of this scope. Like, God, no one could have imagined that something of this scope would have happened. This is beyond our wildest nightmares. But um, they have been expecting this conflict to flare up again because it's inevitable, mm -hmm. because we haven't actually solved any of the issues that have been plaguing us since the day of the establishment, since even before that, right? And so, at this point, that's not going away. If anything, this whole thing has now pushed that right to the front. And the truth of the matter is, is that whatever political turmoil was going on before, the entire landscape of politics here has now changed because the level of trauma that we just experienced over this attack is so deeply seared into our psyches. It probably will be for the rest of our lives, meaning we're never going to forget this. And this has in, like, infused the nation with a new energy. And honestly, I hope that when we come out of this, we will actually take the time to be in a space to renegotiate with ourselves the way that we've chosen to conceptualize our identity, what kind of a country we want to be, what kind of a nation we're trying to be. Because a lot of these smoke screens that were here before, people aren't feeling like they want to be in that space anymore. People are sick and tired of this 
like endless stream of violence that the Jewish people have gone through throughout history and we want a new reality for ourselves. And I take a lot of chizuk strength from the fact that we started to build this even before this war happened. You know, these like reforms weren't just proposed for no reason. It, it was in service of this goal of like changing the face of what Israel looks like to the world. But now that we've actually been hit with this practical situation where we're pretty much for our hands is forced to change. I hope that we take that energy and we do something really good and beautiful with it and that it actually ends up feeling good for all parts of Am Yisrael, meaning even if you were against the reforms and you were protesting and you felt like Israel was heading in a dangerous direction, there's room for all of us here. There's a place for all of us here and we just need to figure out a new way to build that all together. And now's, I think, the moment to have these conversations. And we already see that happening on social media. We see um, Jewish men across Israel putting on tefillin more. Um, we see Jewish women who are cutting up their clothes that are not snua um, in order to do their part in a way. And I think as we act like ourselves more, I think we're actually going to create the conditions for real justice and peace here. Um, and it'll be something that looks different to the world. And I think that's a good thing. Right. If I if there was one thing that I just wish every Jewish person in the world knew is just, you know, and I think there's a part of them that knows this, just seeing the like oneness of our people in the face of this event. But just to know how special we are, how how much power we actually really do possess. It's not like a, a fantasy that like we have this army and whatever it is, but we constantly need to be on the defensive. We are like Baruch Hashem a powerful nation at this point in time. We are a powerful nation. Powerful nations should not find themselves in this situation. And if, if we do find ourselves in this type of situation, we need to reflect on why that is and what part of our own decisions have led us to this point. Because at the end of the day, we do have the ability. It is very realistic. It is not like some pipe dream where, you know, we think we're stronger than we are. We actually are very strong and we should be feeling that in this moment and asking ourselves how we allowed ourselves to get to this place of weakness internally in our own land that we find ourselves in this situation because it's not necessary really at the end of the day it's not necessary it is the biggest just shame in the world that that israel is experiencing this right now and i think we're all feeling that shame meaning from what i've seen on social media everyone is just aghast that we find ourselves in this situation right now because we all know that we shouldn't be in this place and so how are we gonna be strong? How are we going to be ourselves going forward? That is the question that I would love for every Jew out there to be asking themselves right now. How can you actually step into your identity as a member of Am Yisrael and how can you carry that forward loudly, proudly and in a proper way that's actually going to put us in the position that we've been longing to be in for thousands and thousands of years? Because it's within our grasp. I think part of that is just getting comfortable with power. I mean, it's true that like this government that scares so many people, like, you know, some of the members of this government, whether it's Bezalel Smotrich or Itamar Ben-Gvir or Avi Maoz, you know, these guys, they're the beginning of something new in Israeli society. Um, they're just the beginning of it. And I, I'm hopeful that the versions of them that come after them will be a little bit easier to digest, will be maybe even less provincial, more understanding of how the rest of the world operates, maybe less scary to the general public um, but Israel is changing and they do like those scary politicians do represent the sector of Israeli society that really knows itself the best that's really like in line with the worldview of our ancestors with our prophets with our sages with all of our uh, aspirations and yearnings for the last 2,000 years I mean that that's really 
a force that should be getting stronger in Israeli society. It just happens to have very ugly expression right now, at least in the political realm. So I think what that camp needs to do is just, you know, continue to evolve and, uh, and keep producing, you know, better and better and better people to send to Knesset, to send to the public space representing that sector and, and its values. But war helps to crystallize and bring out the identity of, of peoples, and uh, that's what's happening. Look, I'm, I, I understand how, how horrific and traumatizing uh, the events of the last few days have been for a lot of Israeli society. And I know that a lot of people are calling for vengeance, and I know a lot of people want to hurt Palestinians, and especially Palestinians in Gaza, especially Hamas. I personally would feel comfortable with brutal retaliation against Hamas, but done in such a way that creates the conditions for us to be able to embark on a better future together with the Palestinians afterwards. Right, I think, you know, those of us who are part of this movement here are actually faced with a really, we're, we're in a tough spot right now because on the one hand, you know, we are in the regular practice of self-reflecting and seeing, you know, what Israel's missteps are and where we can do things better and, you know, trying to actually understand the narrative of the other. And, you know, I think many of us still believe that that's important, but there, this, at this moment, right? Well, no matter what, I think it's important to understand the narrative and identity and experiences of the other, whether you want to reconcile with them or whether you want to destroy them. Because, like, you can't defeat an enemy that you don't understand, and you can't make peace with an enemy you don't understand. So either way, no matter what we want to do with the Palestinians, we have an interest in trying to understand them the way they understand themselves, which is the opposite of what we've been doing until now. Until now, we've been... Uh, just understanding them as like the fantasy antagonist in our story, which is of course what they've been doing to us. They also have a principled resistance to understanding who we are. Um, and, and it's just ridiculous to me at this point. Like we keep killing each other on loop because we refuse to, because we're afraid. We're afraid if their story is even partially true, then that de delegitimizes our story and, and takes away from who we are. I actually think we're partially afraid of our own story, meaning that the, Some camps, of us. the camps that um really are tend to seem like they like to present themselves as someone who like understands that Palestinians are people and that they, they get their narrative and whatever it is. They don't actually understand their narrative. No. What they're afraid of is our own narrative. The liberal and, Zionists. You mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And really like I want to emphasize like very strongly that this isn't about like whether or not you personally feel like you should be someone who like is observant of halakha or this and that. It's so much bigger than that. It's the matter of fact that we're an ancient people with an ancient story that has been playing out for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And somewhere along the line, you know, especially during the establishment, for some Jews, there was a disconnect. There was a break in that story. And we can get into the specifics and we have in previous podcast episode about where that those breaks actually happened and how our, our identity and self-conception has changed. But at the end of the day, I think that's really like the contradiction that's being antagonized here is we can't actually break from that story of who we really are in the past. That's coming to fruition 
in front of our eyes. And it started with the Six Day War, where we retook all of our biblical territories. That wasn't an accident. It didn't just happen. You know, that, that was literally a modern day miracle. Like, And in this situation now, I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that there's a potential that what we're going through, not not just potential, but it's, it's highly likely that what we're go going through is a continuation of that long story as foretold by our prophets, as like held on for thousands of years for Jews in the diaspora. Like, it, they were waiting for these moments that we're in right now. And so to not be afraid of the parts of society that are very tapped into that. Um, rather, you know, I, I would encourage and I would like love to see dialogue happening from within different camps about how we can actually support and coexist with one another while still acknowledging that that is our story. Not taking away from the fact that we're not this Western country that was created in 1948 and whatever it is, we're thousands and thousands of years old and we're still that people and we still need to be tapped into that energy. That's really what's important to take forward from here. They're still with that mission from thousands of years ago, but needing to implement it in the modern age in the, in the conditions that exist today. And I'm, I'm really positive that as scary as things may seem now and as uncertain and we don't know when, you know, the government's telling us to be ready to be locked in our house for three days. I'm really uh, hopeful and optimistic that we're going to come out of this stronger um, and hopefully with the la larger borders um, and uh, and we're going to change humanity from here. Larger borders and, and less mental barriers to actually embracing who we are and how special what we're doing here in our land really is because it, it is special and it's like hard to feel anything other than pain at this moment. But if we can keep reminding ourselves that, you know, we're not here for no reason. There's a very good reason why we're here in our land. It has to happen. It has to be this way. And whatever is going on right now is part of a larger plan to bring us closer to who we're actually supposed to be in this world and what our story is really supposed to look like. And it's it's terrifying to this moment is terrifying. But it, when you can look at it from a bird's eye view, it's exciting to be alive in this chapter of Jewish history. And I'm hoping that Israel as a collective has learned a lesson from this week. I, I hope we've learned several lessons from this week. And uh, I think it's just clear to most of the population at this point that we're not a quote unquote normal nation. We're not gonna be like a European nation, uh, number one. And number two, we can't outsource all of our security needs to our security forces especially in border towns, places that are close to potential enemies, like we need civilian militias. You know, we need to be able to defend ourselves and not spread our army thin and not create a situation of crisis. There's no reason why Hamas should have been able to take over entire Israeli towns. I mean, there should have been armed civilian militias there ready to defend their homes, ready to defend their communities. Something we can very easily do. The only reason why that didn't exist is because we got soft. And I think now we're we're not gonna be soft anymore. This was a big slap in the face, it was a big wake up call, but the nation of Israel did wake up and did mobilize and did go to war. And uh, I wouldn't wanna be Hamas right now. I think it's uh, useful to kind of realize that like something like to this scope, to this level, could have probably never happened in, let's say, the West Bank, where you know there still is a lot of Palestinians, but the Jews that live out there are are individually and like within their communities 
so in tune and so in touch with the fact that they themselves also they need to be themselves a deterrent for any violence to actually come against them they need to be strong enough in their own homes in their own communities that this idea that you could perpetrate such violent attacks shouldn't even cross the mind of anybody who's near you right and part of why we're in this situation is that we feel like we can outsource that to you know some like big establishment security defense but unless we are within our own communities that strong and that like honestly scary like scary we need, we need to be a little bit scary because if we're not then this is what ends up happening is that we have people who come in and think that they can do this type of stuff and actually succeed which is like horrific to look at and like i wish that you know more of us can tap into the desire to be a little bit scary because like an ounce of prevention is like better than a pound of cure like at, at this point and we got to be aware of that yeah well said so you know i i hope that um vision will be putting out some more more content like this and and be like a hopefully a, a big voice in terms of getting people to um i guess process and understand and contextualize all of what's going on right now because it's a very scary and confusing time um and, and derive the correct conclusions yeah and so this is just the beginning you know we're all still in kind of a state of shock kind of a state of anger pain um it's even hard to really like have actual discourse about you know how we got into this situation with palestinians what their perspective is and even have a solid analysis just based on how high emotions are running but um hopefully within the coming weeks um there will be a lot of content coming out of Vision that uh, gives some insight into what's going on and some guidance on how the people of Israel can formulate their ideology and, and set their mind right um, to prepare for what's going to come. All right. I'm Lizzie. I've been joined by Shai and Ravi Huda, and you're listening to The Next Stage Podcast. If listeners are interested in checking out the show notes of this episode, you can go to visionmag.org backslash the next stage 106.